morning. Christmas is a sensory overload, isn't it? Especially for little children. Uh, That's our 28-year-old son called Ross on his first Christmas, and he looks a bit overwhelmed by all the wrapping paper. But it's the same for us as well as adults. We want to know what's in the box, don't we? We might shake it, we might sniff it, we might give it a feel to see what it feels like. Because presents are tactile things, aren't they? We want to know what's inside. And that first Christmas, in a sense, wasn't any different. That was a sensory overload with bells on, wasn't it? Imagine what it was like for Mary, the shepherds, and Joseph. Poor Joseph, for example, was bombarded with information and lots of things going on all at the same time that didn't make sense. His fiancée was pregnant, uh, and it wasn't his child. He was assaulted by angelic dreams who invaded his sleep. And then they went on a perilous journey, and they had unusual visitors and generous gifts. So much for Joseph to take in. We're going to read this story now. And Eddie Lyle, the president of Open Doors UK, he's a great storyteller. And we're going to watch Eddie reading the story to us now. Thanks. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. The birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus took place like this. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. And before they came to the marriage bed, Joseph discovered that she was pregnant. It was by the Holy Spirit, but he didn't know that. Joseph, chagrined but noble, determined to take care of things quietly so that Mary would not be disgraced. While he was trying to figure out a way, he had a dream, and God's angel spoke to him in the dream. Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Mary's pregnancy is spirit-conceived. God's Holy Spirit has made her pregnant. She will bring a son to birth, and when she does, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus. God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. This would bring the prophet's embryonic sermon to full term. Watch for this. A virgin will become pregnant and bear a son. They will name him Emmanuel, Hebrew, for God is with us. Then Joseph woke up and he did exactly what God's angel commanded in the dream. He married Mary, but he did not consummate the marriage until she had the baby. He named the baby Jesus. May God bless this reading from his word this Christmas time. It's good to hear him, isn't it? The Christmas story as it should be read with a beautiful, lilting Irish accent. Jesus, as we've just heard from Eddie, means God saves. Yahweh is salvation. This is the gift of a saviour. And this is the Christmas present we are unpacking this morning and thinking, what does this salvation look like? What does it sound like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like and taste like in real life? What was it like for Joseph? And what is it like for us today? As we read, the prophet Isaiah, over 500 years before Christ, 
wrote these words, a virgin will get pregnant and bear a son. They will name him Emmanuel, which is Hebrew for God with us. And here he is, God's promised salvation in person, with us and for us. The God of heaven comes squalling into his mother's arms, completely dependent and vulnerable, needing burped and changed, all wrapped up in the loving and devoted care of Mary and Joseph. The Nicene Creed, written a few hundred years after the birth of Christ, puts it a little more formally, but equally beautifully, like this. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. Jesus is one of us. This is salvation in real life. It is physical. He is physical. And so we're going to think about salvation today from a physical perspective using our five senses. Sight, hearing, smell, touch, and taste. And as we do this, we will discover that God's salvation in Jesus looks hopeful. It sounds encouraging. It smells good. It feels like home. And it tastes like heaven. So first of all, let's think about sight. God's salvation in Jesus brings us hope. It looks hopeful. We've just seen it in the video that Steve showed us earlier from Iraq. God rebuilds hope when things are torn down. And as it said in the video, thank you for keeping hope alive. That's what Jesus does for us. Joseph's hopes and dreams were dashed, or so it seemed. The problem he had was unavoidable, and it was right before his eyes, there in Mary's womb, and it was getting bigger and bigger every day. Mary was pregnant. And to Joseph, this could only mean one thing. Mary, his betrothed, had been unfaithful to him. And under the Jewish law, he could make a public spectacle of her or divorce her quietly so that she wouldn't be disgraced. Now, we can tell from the story that he clearly loved Mary. And as a righteous man, he knew how to live under the law of God's grace. And so he chose the merciful option. And I imagine that God loved this about Joseph because here was a man after his own heart. And it's probably why God chose him for the job in the first place. Joseph was a good man. What he couldn't see, however, was the truth about his wife's pregnancy. Mary wasn't pregnant because she was unfaithful. No, on the contrary, Mary was pregnant because she was faithful. And Mary's faithfulness was about to give birth to hope. Joseph's despair was about to be transformed into hope. His logical thinking wasn't right. It was wrong. He just never expected that God would appear in this way. No one did. Yes, if we read the Old Testament, there was plenty of prophecies and signs in the Scripture 
which we now understand with hindsight, pointed to this kind of saviour. God's people, however, at the time just couldn't see it. And neither would we if we were in that situation too. They hoped for a conquering Messiah who would free them from political oppression. And Joseph, what did he hope for? Well, he hoped that he would get married and then have a baby. That's just not how it worked out. Jesus, the Savior, has come to save us from our sins. He has come to help us see our lives and our circumstances from God's perspective, not ours. Because when we look at life from our perspective, we often get it wrong. We make wrong assumptions, wrong decisions, and take wrong actions. And it doesn't matter how good we are. Joseph was pretty good, and he still got it wrong. So what do you need God's perspective on today? There's something for each of us to think about. What is God's Holy Spirit prompting you about right now? That thing you are sure you're right about, and God is saying, actually, no, you are wrong. Let me show you a different way to look at this. Maybe it's your perspective on Jesus, the Savior. Before today, you haven't seen him as your hope. You've seen him as irrelevant or divisive or just too demanding. Today, through the Christmas story, he wants to birth in you the gift of hope. He wants to replace the sense of despair and disappointment with the way your life has turned out, with a hope of a new way of living and a future which will delight and inspire you. It's time for you to look at Jesus from the perspective of hope. So what about hearing? God's salvation in Jesus brings us courage. And that sounds, to me, encouraging. As Joseph was trying to figure out a way out of his predicament, he had a dream. And in the dream, God's angel spoke to him to put him in the picture. And what an amazing picture it was. Mary's pregnancy was Holy Spirit conceived. Jesus Christ, God's eternal salvation, conceived by heaven and delivered on earth fully God and fully man. This child had to come from heaven because we were unable to save ourselves. We need God to save us through Jesus, our Savior. We just can't do it ourselves. And this child had to be born of this earth because it was the only way for us to hear and understand that God loves us. We need God, Emmanuel, to be with us, to be one of us. Now, this plan, the Bible tells us, was birthed in God's heart before the dawn of time. And at just the right time, Jesus, God the Son, was born in a manger in Bethlehem. No wonder Joseph and Mary needed this explained to them by one of God's messengers who were, incidentally, clearly a bit on the scary side. Joseph, don't be afraid. Mary, don't be afraid. Shepherds, don't be afraid. But this good news brought them courage in place of fear. And as a result, they were able to play their part 
in God's salvation story. At no point anywhere in the rest of this story do we read any words of Joseph. There's not a single word attributed to Joseph in the Gospels. He's simply portrayed as a man who listened to God and did what he said. Now that sounds simple, but just think for a moment what this meant for Joseph. It meant ridicule, it meant gossip, it meant fleeing for their lives to another country, it meant refugee status, it meant a very uncertain future. And yet Joseph said yes, just like that. How come? Well, I think he had the courage to listen to God and obey. He paid attention to what God wanted from him and then put it into practice, changing his own plans to fit with God's plans. And that's why he was called a righteous man, because he lived God's way. An email with a poem from uh, the Linden Institute of Contemporary Christianity popped into my inbox yesterday, and it's about Joseph. It's called Just the Joe for the Job. He needed a man who would take him seriously, his words, his ways, his priority. And Joe took him seriously, rich enough in integrity to let his betrothed go for her presumed adultery, but quietly, kindly, and shunning a show. He needed a man who could hear his voice through that long, dark night of pain and make his master's choice and go against the populist grain. He needed a man who would move at the drop of a dream, trust nothing, no one except the divine scheme, stick to his girl, stick to his son, stay where he was till he heard from the one. He needed a man who could make a way in a foreign land with just the skills in his calloused hands, trade myrrh for tools, watch the river flow, keep her safe, keep their profile low. For that job, he needed a man. He usually needs someone, a woman, a girl, a boy. Sometimes a donkey will do, an angel, a few. He's always got something on the go, which is why today, tomorrow, he also needs you. God calls each one of us this Christmas to follow him. His son Jesus has come to save us from our sins. Have you got the courage? Because it takes courage to admit you've been wrong and to start living your life the Jesus way. It's time for you to listen to Jesus and be encouraged. That brings us on to smell. And the word I'd like to share with you here is that God's salvation smells good. God's salvation in Jesus makes us good. We know when something smells good, don't we? especially at this time of year. Christmas dinner smells good, doesn't it? Our favourite perfume or our favourite aftershave makes us smell good. And the third gift which the Magi brought to Jesus was something that smells good, the aroma of myrrh. A perfume which was used in the Bible as an anointing oil to signify God's holiness It was used liberally in the temple of God. It's sprinkled everywhere, including on Aaron and the priests. It signified God's holiness. 
but also it was used in the Bible as an embalming oil for the dead. I tried to buy some in Holland and Barrett yesterday. <laughs> Actually, I went right along the high street into every shop that I thought might sell it because apparently it's used by aromatherapists now, so it's, it's still readily available. Anyway, funnily enough, Holland and Barrett were sold out. <laughs> And there was a little section for frankincense, and that was sold out too. There's no explanation given as to why the Magi brought this gift of myrrh to Jesus, but it's clearly significant. It's recorded in Matthew's Gospel as this gift at his birth, and it's also there in John's Gospel when Joseph and Nicodemus come to prepare Jesus' body for burial and bring myrrh to do that. So in this costly gift, we just catch the scent of a holy God who set aside the privileges of deity to become human. This God smells like us, and he lived among us, and he died for us. And all the time he remained holy, and all the time he remained one of us. This is the aroma of Christ. He's not a God who's far removed from us in a palace or a temple He's a baby in a cattle trough. And then a man dying on a cross. The man who is God and the God who is man bringing people and God together. Jesus the Savior has come to save us from our sins. And at this stage in the story, Joseph didn't fully understand. And frankly, 2,000 years later, neither do we. But we don't need to understand it fully to know that what God is offering us here is good. In fact, what God is offering us here is far more. He's offering to actually make us good, just like himself. And who can understand that? God wants to change us from the inside out. And the way to respond is to do what Joseph did and say yes to Jesus. So Joseph gave up his right as a father, because that was whose right it was to name in that culture. Joseph gave up his right as a father to name his son and instead accepted the name given from heaven, Jesus. God saves. He took the humble approach and said, yes, this is Jesus, God, our Savior. What a man. And no matter how hard we try, We can't make ourselves good. Humanist ideology tells us that the key to human progress is to be found within ourselves. But it's hard to see that when we look at the evil we see in our world and indeed in our own hearts. So let's not be so sophisticated that we can't acknowledge our failings to God. That's not a good idea. And that's not a good place to be In fact, it is foolish. We need to let go of our human pride and grab hold of God's forgiveness. And we needn't worry about being exposed because we won't be telling God anything he doesn't know about us already because he knows us inside and out. He's our father. He made us. He knows all about us. And he still loves us with a passion. The passion that sent his one and only son, Jesus, the Savior, into our world to save us from our sins. 
And it's time for you to name him Jesus. Confess him as God, your Savior. That brings us to touch. Jesus, God's salvation, makes us feel at home. When Joseph woke up, he immediately took Mary home as his wife. And in an instant, Mary's future changed from insecure to secure. Because in that patriarchal society, she was now under the protective care of her husband. It's a great feeling when we come home, isn't it? We've been traveling or been out at work all day or whatever. When we come home, it just feels good. The road we live in at this end of the town is a cul-de-sac. Jan and I find it quite entertaining to sit in our lounge and watch the cars come up the road, discover it's a dead end, and go back down the hill. Makes us snigger. We probably need to get out more. But when I get to the top of the hill, it's an entirely different feeling. I'm not lost, I'm home. Wasn't it great to see Noah's living room transformed from a burnt-out shell back into a home full of warmth and family, just seeing them on that couch, sitting there smiling, talking, laughing. He's home too, and I'm sure it feels good for him. The Bible tells us that God's deepest desire is to be at home with us. Our separation from him breaks his heart and is the reason he was willing to send his one and only son to bring us back home. Jesus, the Savior, has come to save us from our sins. And when I read the stories in the Bible about Jesus, one of the things that strikes me is how people fell at home in Jesus' company. People from all walks of life, different backgrounds, different circumstances, different problems, different issues. Yet they all felt at ease in his company. Why was that? I think it was because Jesus was the perfect representation of God our Father here on earth. It's heaven and earth stuff. God's kingdom. God's home on earth as it is in heaven. Right at the start of the story, it tells us that Joseph was a son of David. He was from David's line. And King David knew what it felt like to be at home with God his father. Here's how he puts it in Psalm 23. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my dripping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. I'm sure that psalm would have been a great comfort to Joseph as he looked at his wife Mary and their precious gift, a son called Jesus, which means God saves. If you think about it, Joseph was given a little taste of heaven, a little taste of what was to come. He didn't make it to the cross like his wife Mary did. He disappears from the action when Jesus turns 12. But what a privilege was his 
He got to be the adoptive father of Jesus, the Savior, God's one and only son. He must have been a pretty special person for God to entrust that responsibility to. He made a home for Jesus, the son. And this Christmas time, it's time for you and me to make a home for Jesus, the Savior, in our lives. That brings us to taste. Because Jesus brings us a little taste of heaven. God's salvation in Jesus tastes like heaven on earth. And this is what this meal does for us every time we share it. A simple meal of bread and wine. It gives us a taste of Jesus, the Savior, who has come to save us from our sins. Certain tastes bring back memories for us, don't they? Maybe it's your mum's apple pie. It is for me. Or steak pie or some other kind of pie. (laughs) But sometimes the taste makes that association for us with other things. That's what Jesus is doing here. God gave his people a Passover meal of lamb and bitter herbs to help them remember their rescue from slavery in Egypt. And Jesus, who is God, our Savior, has given us this meal to help us remember and see his hope and hear his words of courage and smell his goodness and feel welcome in his home and taste his promise of heavenly return. It's time for a little taste of heaven. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is just temporary. Jesus is coming back. And this little taste of heaven will one day be replaced with his presence with us in the new heaven and the new Jerusalem. I want to just take a moment to pray. After I've prayed, we'll sing a short song reminding us about who God is. He is God with us today. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are with us today by your Spirit. We name you Jesus, the one who has come to save us and forgive us our sins. Bless us this day. Help us to see your hope, your future for us, born in us this Christmas time. And to hear your words of encouragement. And we pray that where we are afraid, Lord, you will replace that fear with courage in our hearts to follow you. Help us to smell the goodness of God. Thank you that you remind us that you have come to die for us and take our place and make us good and make us feel welcome in the Father's home and taste the goodness of this meal, of your promised return, bread and wine, your body broken, your blood shed for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're coming back. And we open our hearts afresh to you this Christmas and invite your Holy Spirit to come into our lives and transform them. We name you, Jesus, God, our Savior, afresh today. Amen. Shall we stand together and sing now? Thank you.
Thank you, Lord God, that you are Emmanuel. You are here with us as we share this meal together now. We bless your name. Amen.